Uh, it is a blessing to be able to be with you this morning. In case you didn't notice, things look a little different up here on the platform this morning. And there's a reason for it. It's not because I have something against the pulpit. Actually, I love being able to hide behind the pulpit sometimes. Uh, actually, on one occasion at the church we were at in Pennsylvania, we had uh, a, a clear pulpit, which it defeats the purpose of it because one, one Sunday I'm up there and my wife is in the front row and she's telling me, your zipper's down. You can't hide behind a pulpit when it's a clear pulpit. I love having a pulpit here. So uh, it's not as if uh, s- somehow I have something against the pulpit. Um, actually, I'm going to use this a little bit later in the service today. Uh, you know, everyone loves a good meal. Uh, everyone loves to be able to sit and to enjoy a meal. And if you really think about it, all of the high points in our lives typically there is somehow a meal somewhere associated with it. For example, um, you have individuals who will um, come together for certain occasions, like, say, uh, a a wedding. Uh, Typically, there's a reception afterwards. A funeral, there's often a meal afterwards. Uh, The holidays are a great time for families to come together. And the interesting thing is when you do come together for something like that, you don't mind being with other people. And the reason is because you got food. I know for me, it's not necessarily uh, uh, because of a holiday or because of um, a wedding or whatever else. For me, I, I think of one of the high points in our family, I love going on vacation. I love going on vacation. As a part of vacation, typically somewhere along the way, the plan is for us to be able to sit down and have a very nice meal somewhere. Uh, For example, if we go to the beach at least once in that trip, we have to go for seafood buffet. Now, I know Richard's allergic to seafood, so he's not interested in that. But man, I love a good seafood buffet. There have been multiple times where we'll go to one of those places that have all-you-can-eat crabs, and my family will just sit there and watch me. And sit there and watch me. And I'm okay with that because we're having a great time. I know I am. I assume that they are too. Uh, But the reality is food and a table often can bring us together with other people. Often the highlights in a church even surround a table. When we think about homecoming, what do we do? We plan to eat after the service is over. When we have our community servants day, what do we do? We plan to eat after the service is over. And what happens is in those occasions, we often will get together with people that we probably wouldn't normally hang out with. Uh, There are some family members even that we wouldn't hang out with unless they were family and we had to. Uh, They have differences. There are things that they think and you think to yourself, you're crazy, it's family, so there probably is someone crazy within your family. Uh, I think of, uh, actually, I've heard of dysfunctional families. I think the dysfunctional family is the family that has no one who is dysfunctional because every family has someone who is dysfunctional. It's just a part of life. But what happens so often is we come together, and when we gather together, we are forced to interact with one another. It's not just about the food. It's often about the people. You get people often from diverse backgrounds, diverse experiences, diverse desires, all coming together and enjoying one another's company side by side at the table. I'm one of those people I I love, I don't know if you've ever been to a Japanese steakhouse. 
I love eating at a Japanese steakhouse. I mean, a real one where uh, they, they seat you at this countertop that's really close to the, the grill, and, and the chef comes, and he'll sit there, and, or he'll stand there, and he puts on a show for you. Like, as he's cooking the, uh, the meats and all the vegetables and stuff, he's flipping spatulas, and he's throwing eggs up in the air, and he's tossing shrimp to you, and you're supposed to catch it in your mouth. It's a very entertaining experience most of the time. The first time we went to one, we were in Delaware, and the guy went to flip his spatula, and when he did, it slipped out of his hand, and it hit my glass of tea, and tea went all over me. It was not an enjoyable experience. I did enjoy, however, for the rest of the meal, you know how at the end when, when he's divvying up the food and he's putting it on each, each individual's plate, anytime there was leftover stuff, you know who got it? It was me. It was one of the best meals I've had at a Japanese steakhouse, even though I was wet for most of the meal. Anyways, when I go to a Japanese steakhouse, typically I don't bring a huge group. We might bring our family, and I know that's somewhat of a large group, but typically we sit around this countertop and they will allow other families to sit alongside us. So you might have four or five people at your table that you've never met before. You know, one thing that they've never done before is to ask me my opinion of the people sitting around me. And nobody says, you know, uh, this guy voted for Trump. Uh, Are you going to be okay eating next to him? Nobody says, well, you know, this guy's a Gamecock fan. Is this going to be a problem? Nobody says, hey, this guy makes more money than you. Are you going to be okay with this? Actually, no, I'm not going to be okay with it unless he buys my meal for me. Nobody asks those questions. The assumption is, regardless of your differences, you have come together for a meal, and you're going to sit around this table, and you're going to enjoy each other's company, and it really doesn't matter whether you dislike the individual. Take advantage of the opportunity you have to be with them in this moment. You know, I had Richard read a passage earlier from uh, 1 Corinthians, and in it, it identified the body of Christ and what it is supposed to look like. You know, there's a lot of diversity within the body of Christ. There's a lot of things that are very different. Paul talks about Jews and Gentiles in comparison. They were two very distinct groups. Jews knew who the Gentiles were, and the Gentiles knew who the Jews were. He talks about those who are free and those who are slaves, and clearly everybody knew who was who. But the expectation is that in spite of our differences, we are still to be one. So in our case, we may be rich or we may be poor. We may have come from a godly family where we were taught this is how you live as a child of God. Or maybe we're first-generation Christians and this is brand new to us. There are all kinds of things, young and old. Some are fat and some are thin. Some have hair and some have don't. Sorry, Richard. Um, The point is that when we come together, we're supposed to put aside those differences and we are supposed to be one. We're to be united. Can you imagine when the great celebration feast that is talked about in the book of Revelation takes place? You know, again, we're talking about all these times where we sit and we eat around a table, where we gather together as family. Can you imagine when that great celebration feast takes place and you're seated at the table and 
you look over beside you and you recognize somebody there that you don't particularly like. What are you going to do? You're going to get up and leave? You're going to choose to walk away from the table because you don't want anything to do with that particular individual? Are you going to look over there and pick a fight with them? You're going to let them know that I don't think you deserve to be here. You think you could move to the other end of the table for me? By the way, it's going to be a big table. They probably could. The point is, nobody's going to care about all of the silliness of our past. All of those differences won't matter at all. What's going to matter is we will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. We know the things that divide us. We know the things that make us unique from every other person in the room. My question is, what is it that unites us? What brings us together? I know based on the illustration here that I've used, it's a table or it's food. But the answer goes so much deeper than that. You know, Matthew was likely one of the most intelligent of disciples. Uh, he is one, we know that he was very good with math. He was obviously a tax collector. Um, he wasn't very popular with other people, primarily because he was that tax collector. That meant that Jews wanted nothing to do with him, but Jesus did. In fact, upon inviting him to leave his tax collecting business, in Matthew chapter 9, we are told that Jesus went and had a meal at Matthew's house. And as he gathered for this meal, this was a great opportunity for Matthew to just pick the brain of Jesus, to get to know who he really was. Can you imagine the opportunity for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus? Nobody else around, just you and Jesus. Well, Matthew couldn't imagine that because Matthew wasn't content with just having a one-on-one -on -one meal with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13, Matthew tells of this dinner where it wasn't just Jesus and Matthew, but rather he ate a meal surrounded by tax collectors and sinners. What Matthew did was he went and he invited all his friends to come. All the people that he could relate to, they were like him. These were people that they had come from very diverse backgrounds as well. You can imagine amongst this group of people, there might have been the occasional moment of conflict. Remember, tax collectors were basically known as being dishonest, often cutthroat, doing whatever they could to get the best of other people. They were dishonest with other people, manipulative of other people. You think they might have occasionally been manipulative with one another? The lack of deep friendships among them because, well, they couldn't trust each other probably also caused each one of them to be just a little bit insecure, always trying to make sure that they looked good in front of these individuals that they could relate so well to. But on this particular occasion, we don't really hear of any of the divisions taking place in this room, at least not among these tax collectors and sinners. The reason is because the focus is not on themselves that night, for Jesus Christ has come, and he is there at the table with them. And Jesus is the one who brings peace in the midst of all of the division that would naturally have occurred. You know, I've always kind of found this passage a little bit humorous because it's Matthew who is writing, and he's talking about the calling of Matthew. 
He's talking about the dinner that Matthew had all his friends come to with Jesus. So basically what he's doing is he's telling his autobiography. He's telling us his story. This is how Jesus and I got connected. This is where we came together. What I find so humorous is the way he defines his dinner guests that night. As Matthew talks about his dinner guests, he doesn't in any way disguise who they were. They weren't fellow businessmen. They weren't wealthy individuals from the community. They weren't individuals who were occasionally disliked by the crowd. He calls them what they are. And in doing so, he even refers to himself in this way because that was him. He uses the phrase tax collectors and sinners. You see, these were the people that he knew the best because he was just like them. There's no doubt he was exactly like these guys. But he had had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And because of that, God was changing him. You know, it made so much sense that those are the people that he would connect with first. Those are the people that he would introduce to Jesus because they're the ones who knew him. Remember, none of the other Jews even liked Matthew because he's a tax collector. Nobody else is going to listen to him. But they will because he's been in their shoes. The reality is Matthew invites other people to come and join him here at the table. And as he does, he, try, he extends the table and he basically says, they gave me a table that is broken. Can you do it? All right, we're good. <laughs> we're good. He extends the table. And as he extends the table, he invites others to come and to meet Jesus as well so that they can experience the same peace and the same joy and fulfillment that he himself had received. You know, as it seems natural for Matthew to do that, I would suggest that it seems natural for us to connect with the people that we know the best too. There are individuals that we can relate to better than probably anybody else because we've been in their shoes. Are we going to be like Matthew, who invite the people that we love to the table so that they too can experience Jesus Christ? Now, can you imagine the tax collectors? I'm still talking about this same group of people. They're known for their dishonesty. They're known for all of their brokenness. They are tax collectors and sinners. But I'm going back to that same idea. What brings them together and brings them peace that night is them being with Jesus. Likewise, our passage reveals that although we may each be different and unique, although we may bring different backgrounds to the table, we have all been given the same Holy Spirit. That means that I may disagree with you on many, many things. And if you want to disagree with me, that's fine. You are welcome to be wrong. Just kidding. But we can find common ground in Jesus Christ. 
There's incredible diversity in the body. There's incredible diversity in the people that we call family. And often we allow those diverse things, those negative things, to cause us not to be able to love and to minister on these individuals. I love the fact that God made each of us unique. The way I look at things is not the same way that you look at it. And the truth is, I'm better because of it. Everything about us was designed by God, including some of those differences, all of those differences. Now, what we do with them, that's a different issue. But the point is, God made us the way that we are. Of course, some might say that it really doesn't matter whether we find common ground together or not. Some would suggest that it's okay if I just live my life as a Christian and it doesn't matter whether anybody else is ever a part of it. You know, I I can just be a good person. I can be nice and I can try to avoid doing things that I'm not supposed to do. And, you know, I, I can be a Christian without being a part of a church. I don't need the rest of the body. I can operate independent of everybody else and everything will be fine. Is that correct? Actually, the answer is absolutely not. Our passage calls us the body, alluding to the fact that we are all intended to work together as one. Every part of the body has a specific purpose. There is a reason for that part of the body, with the exception of the appendix. I'm not exactly sure what that's for. Don't be the appendix. (laughs) If you remove a part of any appendage in the body, it will quickly deteriorate and it will lose its life. Look at the passage with me that Richard read, just beginning at verse 15. This is what it says. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And then a little bit later in our passage, it says, there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You know, the truth is we need each other. Some of you are gifted in ways that I could never imagine being gifted this morning You've seen some incredible musicians. How old is Abby? She's 12 years old. The youngest one being 12 did a fantastic job. She is using gifts that God gave her. The other musicians who helped out when we were doing the congregational singing, incredible musicians, incredibly gifted. Man, I am so grateful for them. Have you ever been in a church where there was no musicians? When we went to that church in Pennsylvania, that's what we had. We had, a, uh, we had a CD player, and we had that canned music. You guys have probably heard it. Uh, where basically, the, don't get led, into the, led by the Spirit into another verse of a song, because you're just out of luck, because the CD's about to end anyways. Um, it was a very difficult thing. It's nice having great, talented musicians. Um, 
A couple weeks ago, I had a couple of you who were in here this morning who helped me to film a video to be shown in the chapel service up at Southern Wesleyan University. And uh, man, I could never do that, not on my own. But with other individuals, it could be done. During this service this morning, there are individuals who have been working with your children the entire time. These are individuals, there's two reasons why they do what they do. Number one is they love your kids. They love being with them and spending time with them. The other reason is they're good at it. They have gifts. Man, don't send me to do children's ministry. You are doing, it is, this is where I should be. Trust me, I'm not good with kids. The point is, other people are, and that's okay. There are some individuals who are leading small groups, and it's awesome. There are some that are teaching Sunday school classes. There are some individuals that are part of our safety team out there. There are some individuals who are doing behind-the-scenes stuff that nobody knows anything else about. But man, if they don't do it, you'll know that something is wrong. You see, the reality is every one of us, regardless of who we are, God has gifted us in different ways so that we can be a blessing to the body. The body is incomplete without you. Each of us has a role to play. You know, the unfortunate reality is that many of us are very much like this table. See, a few minutes ago, I looked at the table and I said, I think the table is broke. Maybe there's a piece missing. The table wasn't broken. All the pieces were present. The problem is all the pieces weren't being used. Richard came up and he moved this leg back into place. And now all of a sudden this table could be used on this side too. I think at times we have minimized the potential impact of God simply because we've been content to be like this leg of the table sitting here on the side, just watching and enjoying the rest of the meal. When God says, I want you to get up and be involved, to be a part of doing the work that God called us to do. The truth is, all of us have a purpose. All of us, God has a plan for you and for me. I talked about Matthew earlier. Part of his purpose from the very beginning was to minister to others that he knew and loved. I'm telling you, that is a part of the purpose that God has for your life. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I don't think I could do that. Uh, yeah, you could. Matthew wasn't a preacher, at least not yet. He would become one. He'd be one of the disciples who would proclaim the good news of Christ. He would be one of them that others would look to and they would want to hear the apostles' teaching. They would want to know what Matthew had experienced. They wanted to hear him. He became a preacher. But in this story in Matthew 9, he's not a preacher yet. You know what he is? He is one who has chosen to follow Christ. He is one who has received his grace and his peace, and he has the opportunity to share that with the people that he loves. I'm going to tell you, God has many purposes for your life. He really does. But the thing he desires most is a right relationship with you and the people you love. So fulfill your purpose. I will say this, God also believes you have more potential than you believe you have. 
In this passage here, it talks specifically about the body coming together as one, us being united. And a part of the reason why that's there is we begin to recognize that if I operate, let's, I'm going to make it really extreme so you can understand the difference. Let's imagine that I have had a leg that was cut off. I was with a young man, his name was Scott, and he was a uh, he had been in an accident, and the doctors were looking at the possibility of removing his leg. Uh, a, uh, actually, I've shared part of the story with you before. He was working on his vehicle in the front yard, and as he was, uh, he had gotten up underneath it. It was on a jack, and the jack shifted. And when it did, it came down on his leg right about where the knee is. Uh, the doctors, when we got to the hospital, they had had uh, nine individuals who lifted the vehicle off of him, and then another individual dragged him out. They airlifted him to a hospital. When we got to the hospital, the doctors were trying to figure out whether to take his knee, at the, take his leg off at the knee or all the way up at the hip. Well, obviously, that's a very scary thing for, at this point, an 18-year-old just graduated from high school young man. As we gathered, we prayed, and God did an incredibly miraculous thing. That, man, that young man walked out of the hospital that night on his own. Incredible. God moved, and there's no way to explain it. In fact, the nurse came in. She's asking uh, how tall he was, and he answered the question. I just stopped. I said, ma'am, what difference does it make how tall he is if you're about to cut off his leg? She said, I don't understand it. We're going to fit him for crutches. We can't find anything wrong with his leg. That's God performing a miracle. Scott is a, uh, a sergeant now in the United States Army, stationed down in Florida. Do you think he could do some of the things that he's doing today if he had lost that limb? Probably not. You see, the reality is we can do an awful lot of things, but when we do it together, when we have all the pieces working together as one, we can do far more than we ever could on our own. You say, well, actually, I can do an awful lot with one finger. That's true, you can, especially in a technology age. But what could we do if we had all of the pieces working together as one? I believe that God wants us as the body of Christ to truly be one so that we can truly make a difference in the lives of other people. You may look around you today, and you may see people who seem to be more gifted than you. And you may question, why would God want me to be a part of this? Why would God want me to be a part of doing any of this when there are all these other people? They could do a better job than me. God brought you here for a reason. And while the pinky may not seem all that important, it's important. Your big toe may not seem all that important. Most people don't even see it unless you're wearing sandals. But it's important. Nobody sees your heart either, but it's pretty important. You see, every one of us, regardless of how big or small or talented or the experiences that we come to the table with, we've all been invited to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves. I want to challenge you today to specifically allow God to use you, not only in this church, but outside of this church. You be the body of Christ. It's a song that was uh, played quite a bit on the radio, I guess it's probably been about um, 15, 20 years. But uh, it simply says, if we are the body, why aren't his feet moving or going? 
If we are the body, why aren't his hands healing? If we are the body, and it goes through a list of all these questions. If we are the body, why aren't we going out and impacting the world that is broken around us? See, that's what Christ was all about. When you look at everything that he did during the 33 years, and specifically the three years that we get the biggest record of his life, it was all about going to the broken and helping and doing whatever he could to minister to them, to meet them where they were and to love on them, to meet with a group of tax collectors and sinners and encourage them. If we are the body of Christ, and we know that that's the heart of Christ, why aren't we going and doing the same things? I know there's... Uh, we live in a football town. It's a college town where a few people do like Clemson around here. Some of you guys don't, and that's okay too. There's a big difference between being a fan and being a player. Uh, Kyle Eidelman wrote a book called Not a Fan. And his whole purpose of the book was to say, it's time to get out of the bleachers. It's time to get up from just sitting and watching the game. It's time to go get in the game. Maybe it's time for us as a church to get in the game. So I've been doing this church stuff for years. I'm tired. I don't think I can do it anymore. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us to consider Christ who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary in doing what is good. What, he, what he's saying here is don't focus on all the things you've done already. Don't focus on all the things that other people have done or haven't done already. Instead, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Stay focused on Him and allow Him to be what keeps you from growing weary. I know, some of y'all been in the church for a long time. Some of y'all taught Sunday school for 40, 50 years. Thank you for your service. Maybe your ministry role changes today, but you still have a role in the body of Christ. Don't stop being the body. We need you. The generation that comes behind will need you. I was reading a, a, a list of statistics this week from George Barna Research, and in that list of statistics, it shared about some of the brokenness in our world there's no question that we live in a generation where less and less people are attending church and being involved in the church, and less and less people are acting like they are the body of Christ. Actually, 54% of those who are considered seniors still are likely to attend church at least twice a month. You know how many young adults would fit in that category? 33%. Twice a month coming to church. Actually, if you look at each generation in between those two, you see a steady decline from the seniors all the way down until you get to the young adults. I wonder if a part of the reason that's true is because the church stopped being the body of Christ, doing the things that God called us to do. I just simply challenge you today, you be the body of Christ. You see something needs to be done? 
Don't wait for someone else to do it. Man, you ever been in a church where someone comes to the, actually I've been in it, where someone comes to the pastor just about every Sunday to complain? Pastor, can you believe they didn't do this this week? Actually, Miss Betty Nicholson, I want to brag on you for a minute. There have been many times she'll come to my office and she will have seen something that was not done. Maybe there was something that was left in the water fountain. Someone had left a piece of trash somewhere on the floor. She'll come in and I know where she got it. I know what she's got in her hand. She'll come in, find my trash can. She said, someone left this on the floor. See, instead of just talking about it, she'll go and do it, which is what the body of Christ is supposed to do. You see a need, go do it. Do whatever you can to to be used by God. If it's to pray, then pray. Awesome. We will celebrate with you. Pray that God will move in a mighty way. Pray faithfully. I have people that tell me every week, I pray for you every day. Please, everyone, pray for me every single day. I pray for you as well. That's a part of my ministry. It's a part of your ministry to me and to the other people around you. You see someone in need? Don't go tell someone else about the need. You do whatever you can to help meet that need. It's what the body of Christ does. It's what Christ would have done. If you're the pinky now, you go do what Christ would have done with his pinky. You say, well, the pinky is not much. Actually, it is. I can carry 20 bags of groceries on one pinky if I really want. Point is, you can do a lot more than you think, especially if we do it together. I'm asking everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, I pray that you would, first of all, meet us at the table. We look forward to the day where we will gather at the table, a huge table, and we will celebrate in a great feast where we have been welcomed into your kingdom and All of the sin of the world is past. It is no longer an impact on us. Well, we look forward to the time where we are gathered at this table with people that maybe right now we just see the differences. But we will have one thing that clearly unites us, and it is the presence of Jesus Christ at that table. Lord, as we prepare for that moment, I pray that you would meet with us already. Help us to be like Matthew, who invited other people to the table and he loved on them and he introduced them to you. Lord, I pray that you would use us with the people that we know and love. I pray that you would allow us to be individuals who use the gifts you've given to us, each one of us being gifted in different ways, some of us with the ability to teach, some with the gift of generosity, some with the gift of hospitality. Whatever our gifts are, I pray that you would use them in such a way that we could become kingdom builders, individuals who will change this world by introducing people to you. Lord, I pray that you would work in us in such a mighty way that truly we could do things we never even imagined. Lord, I pray that you would bind us together as one. Allow us to be a church that, again, doesn't look at the differences, but realizes, man, we bring a lot to the table because of those differences. Allow us to be identified by a heart that is fixed on you. And we'll give you praise for what you do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want everyone to be a part of the table. I want all of us to look forward to that day where we will sit 
and have a feast. But until then, let's be about the work of Christ so that when that day comes, we'll need a bigger table. So glad you could be with us this morning. Uh, Next Sunday, uh, come back and join us, and I promise I'll have the pulpit back up here uh, with me. So thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.